0: we've been in a series on 1st and 2nd Samuel. We've been looking at various characters in these books. and let me catch you up on where we are. We have seen that David has defeated Goliath after he has been anointed. His fame is rising so much so that we find that there is a billboard hit written after him. In 1st Samuel chapter 18 verse 7, the chapter that was just read, there's a song that goes, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul, the current king, of course, did not like this. It made him extremely jealous. And he even says, what more can David have but the kingdom? Verse eight. And from that point forward, Saul eyed David. Eyed him, verse nine, to kill him. In fact, in chapters 18 through 20 we find are some of the most difficult and dangerous of David's entire life. No less than six times in these chapters does Saul put a mark on David's life. And here's the question. How does David make it through such a difficult time? And the answer to that question is Jonathan. Jonathan, he's Saul's eldest son. We first meet him in chapter 13 when he does what his father was unable or unwilling to do, and that is defeat the Philistines in their garrison. Later on, we find that Jonathan is not only a man of integrity, he is also a man of deep compassion as he takes compassion on Saul's soldiers. He's not only a man of compassion and integrity, he's also a godly man who seeks after the Lord and what God would have him do. He is godly, he is gifted, and he is David's faithful friend. You see, these chapters, the way that Hebrews tell their stories, uh, they, they just as important in what they say in the story is how they say it, how they tell the story. And you see these chapters that I talked about that are some of the most difficult and dangerous in David's whole career. They begin in chapter 18 with David establishing a friendship with Jonathan. And they end at the end of chapter 20. The section ends with David and Jonathan reestablishing their reaffirming their friendship. In fact, as David departs from Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 42, Jonathan says to him, go in peace. The soul is still after him. He's going into the wilderness. How could he say go in peace? Because his relationship with David was meant to provide the stability that he needed. You see, in the midst of all the danger and uncertainty and unrest, David can rest in the security of this relationship, this friendship. That's why the Bible tells the story like it does. That's why we have David's most difficult time in his life framed by this affirmation of friendship. Eolred of Riveau was a 12th century monk who wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship. In it he says that talking about the great friends of old, he says, in the midst of all the danger and uncertainty and unrest, I'm sorry, he says, yeah, in the midst of all the evils which they saw and felt, they rested in the joy of mutual charity. An old word for mutual love. See, in David's disintegrating world, one space of sanity, one refuge is still intact. And that's Jonathan. And so my question to you today is, do you have a Jonathan? Do you have a relationship like this? Ralph Waldo Emerson in an essay entitled Friendship says, Every man passes his life in search of friendship. We all want friends, but what was it about this friendship that got David through? What do we know about this friendship? Well, the first thing that we see is that this was a friendship marked by affinity. We're not sure what David said, but something in David's words attracted Jonathan. Because in verse 1, we read that right after David finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. So much so that he loved him as his own soul. And that's how it always starts. You know, any friendship begins with some kind of desire, some kind of attraction, some kind of affinity. And there is a desire and attraction and affinity there. There was something about David that attracted Jonathan and Jonathan loved him. And the feeling was mutual. When Jonathan passes away in Second Samuel chapter one verse twenty six, David says that his love for him was extraordinary as he weeps. Mutual love. Which led to this affinity led to a mutual respect and admiration. What happens after this is nothing less than astounding. In verse 4, Jonathan strips himself of his robe that was on him. He gives it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. Now you have to understand what's going on here. And that day, the clothes made the man. And Jonathan is, at that point, in everyone's mind, the heir to the throne. He is Saul's oldest son. And yet he takes off his military garb, his royal military garb, and he gives it to David saying, you know what, you know who should have this job? Not me, you. Could you imagine in our world of competition and envy and jealousy, desiring someone else's good so much so that you were willing to strip off your rights and give them to another that you were seeking? their best and David for his part he also has this deep respect and admiration for Jonathan in chapter 20 when he's speaking to Jonathan three times he references himself as Jonathan's servant your servant he calls himself you see this is mutual respect mutual admiration this is two people who, who were not looking to their own interests, but they were looking to the other's interest above their own. Not only was there affinity and mutual respect and admiration, there was also empathy. And notice that 18.1 said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. When, when Jonathan looked at David, so said, that's me. So my life is bound up in his life. What happens to him happens to me. And that's why this comes to tangible expression in chapter 20, verse 34, when it says that Jonathan was grieved for David because his father Saul had disgraced David. And Jonathan is grieved for David because he loved him as his own soul. Aelred again writes, a friend is one who rejoices in joys, weeps in sorrows, feels as his own, all that his friend experiences. Do you have a friend like Jonathan? Are you a friend like Jonathan? Who weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. Another's victories are your victories. And their sorrows are your sorrows. Another's tears matter more to you even than your own tears. And their joys more to you even than your own joys. Do you have a friend like Jonathan? And this wasn't fleeting, by the way. No, this also involved commitment. In verse 3, it says that Jonathan makes a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant is a formalized relationship. It wasn't just enough to say, you know, "I I like you, you're my friend. No, they had to formalize it. They're defining the relationship. They're exchanging, as my daughter would say, BFF necklaces. You and me forever and ever and ever. This is David and Jonathan. In the ancients used to talk about the yoke of friendship. You know what a yoke is? A a yoke is a piece of wood that has two holes in it that you would put two oxen in so that the oxen would pull in the same direction. In other words, a yoke is a bond or something that binds you together so that you will actually pursue the same goal. A yoke is a covenant. And friendship, as C.S. Lewis said, is not two people looking at one another in the eyes, but standing shoulder to shoulder and looking at the same horizon. Saying, that's my love too. Let's get after that together. Because we love that. And David and Jonathan, they loved God. And that's what yoked them together that day. And they were so committed to one another that this commitment was even sacrificial. In chapter 19, right in the middle of this section, we find that Saul charges his men to go kill David. And Jonathan goes and warns David about it and then goes and speaks well about David to Saul to try to get Saul. And he does not to kill David. In other words, he intervenes on his behalf and in doing so, he is risking his life because Saul is a madman. And and Jonathan is putting his neck out for his friend. So do you have a friend like Jonathan? And are you a friend like Jonathan? Jonathan? Alred again says, a friend is the best medicine in life. It heightens the joys of prosperity and mitigates the sorrows of adversity. In other words, we are all going to experience sorrow in this life. Many of us have our own sorrows that we are dealing with this day, and they are heavy. But they they are buoyed up. They are mitigated by someone who shares our sorrows with us. And the joys that we experience in life. Have you ever been to your, like, a concert? Or seen an art piece? And you were at the, or seen a sunset and you were there and as you were looking at this beautiful sunset, or as you were listening to this band play, or, or as you were staring at this magnificent painting, and, and you look next to you to say, hey, do you see that? And there's no one there. Something about the joy in that moment is taken away, isn't it, when you don't get to share it with another? And something about the joy of that moment comes to a completion when you're able to share it with another and to praise that thing together. See what Elred is talking about? This relationship, I wanted, I, I, I know. I know, I know what your greatest hope is. And I know what every person in this room, I know what your greatest hope is. And I also know what your greatest fear is. So how do you know that, Kyle? Because I'm psychic. No, because I'm human. And we're all human. And you know what it is? Your greatest hope is that you will be known and loved accepted and embraced and it's mine too and our greatest fear is that that won't happen. And so we all want this. C.S. Lewis talks about in this sermon that he preached called The Weight of Glory, he talks about this feeling in this world. And it's a feeling that we are a stranger and that we're treated like a stranger. And that we're all longing to be acknowledged. And he says, This is our inconsolable secret. That is, all of us deep down have this ache, this yearning to have loneliness cured. We all feel it and we all experience it. We experience it in marriage and we experience it out of marriage. We experience it in community and we experience it out of community. This is deep. And it is a deep ache that we all feel. It's, it's the reason why in uh, Michael Scott, that great philosopher, you know what I'm talking about, the hit show, The Office, anyone watched this? So, yes, you did. And if you didn't, we'll catch you up. So there's this episode where Michael Scott... It's bring. He's the branch manager of Dunder Mifflin. And it's bring your kid to work day. Michael doesn't have a kid. And so what Michael does is he brings a video of himself as a kid. And he plays the video. And in the video, you see little Michael Scott saying this. When I grow up, I want to get married and have 100 kids so that I can have 100 friends. And no one can say no to being my friend. You know, Michael's insecurity is something I relate to. We all just want to be loved and accepted and find a place that we belong and find a place that we can call home. Jeremy Huggins uh, graduated from my seminary just before my time, but he's a writer and we share some mutual friends. Jeremy, in one of the pieces, wrote, and uh, one, of, one of the pieces that he's written that's received some press said this All the people I love, I trust, I want to be around, all of them answer with varying volume yes to the following basic question Will you be there for me? I've come to believe it's the question that houses all my other questions, fear, and longings, Will you be there for me? See, this I would suggest to you is what is different between what the Bible terms friendship and what we call friendship. And you know, we all have a thousand friends, right? Facebook friends. And pastors, we have tons of friends. Because every time we write a letter, we say, friends, right? Dear friends. But the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So you can have companions people who you share affinity with and you like the same things and you do things together but here's the difference between in proverbs language a companion and a friend. A friend sticks by Through thick and thin. In other words, friendship is covenantal. There's a commitment. There's a sense that they will be there. That's what Jeremy Huggins is talking about. In other words, he's talking about what the Bible talks about. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. When God says all these things are good in creation and then we find the first not good. It is not good that man should be alone. And that is before sin. Do you realize that your loneliness is not sin? No, your loneliness is because you were made in the image of God and in his likeness. And you were made for connection. Connection with not just with God. Adam had that but with other human beings. It's why Jonathan Edwards puts it very boldly and bluntly when he says, God made us to need others besides himself. Period. David finds this longing, this ache, met in Jonathan. You know, earlier I called this a love story. Maybe some of you bristle at that. Maybe it's a bit jarring. But you know, these aren't my words, they're David's. Because in chapter, in 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 26, when David confesses that his love for Jonathan was extraordinary, he goes on to say, even surpassing the love of women. Above all the women I've ever, above my, my wife, Jonathan. Jonathan is the one who I've been connected to and loved he is the one who has met the ache. He is the one my soul is knit to. And I share one soul with. Now that sounds very surprising to us. But the reason that's surprising to us is because we have elevated romantic love and erotic love over the love of friendship. And we have come to believe that the only way to find This ache met is in romantic love and erotic love. And the Bible says no. Ancients said no. C.S. Lewis said to ancients, Friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life, the school of virtue. The modern world, he says in comparison, ignores it. I mean, just think about it. If you go back in history and you look at so much of the great epics and things that were written, what were they about? They were about friendship. But you go to our books and you go to look at our movies and what are they about? They're about romance. You say, no, the Lord of the Rings. That's because Tolkien loved ancients. That's why it's about friendship. Because he got what ancients got. And here's my question. What if we have it wrong? What if we have it wrong? Think about this for a second. Just consider this. In the New Testament, it is very clear, and we've talked about this before, it is very clear in the New Testament that there are many people that are going to be in the church who are called to singleness that it is a high calling, that it's a noble calling, and even, I would argue, that Paul says that that is the calling that you should consider first, not marriage. Many people are called to singleness, but nobody is called to loneliness. Then I would suggest that our loneliness has to be met in another way besides marriage. I mean, Jesus himself says greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his uh, his life for his spouse, right? No, for his friend. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. so according to Jesus, the greatest love is the love of friends. And while you can have friendship within a marriage, you do not need a marriage to have friendship. That's why the best marriages are built on a friendship. And so here's my thesis. And by the way, just stepping back, one more thing. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament The New Testament talks about marriage. Have you ever noticed how many marriages it actually, tangible marriages it actually mentions? Very few. And yet Paul, who is a single man, is talking all over the place about women and men who he has deep connections with in the gospel. Intimate relationships with. Because he assumes that this ache of loneliness can be met other ways. In fact, that it's met primarily through the fellowship that we call the church. And so here is my thesis today. Here's the point. It's that friendship and not romance is the primary way through which God has given us to be known, and to be loved. And it's the primary cure for our loneliness. So we must pursue friendship. We must pursue friendship. Friendships like this, deep love, mutuality, empathy, commitment, sacrifice, to find a place where you desire and are desired. A place where you are are affirmed and affirmed. And it requires intentionality. Verse 3, notice that Jonathan makes a covenant with David. It says Jonathan made. It didn't just happen. He actually took the initiative. It it requires judgment and intentionality and deliberation to say, I am going to pursue this relationship to this degree. So let me close with a few applications. Let me speak to the married here first. Pursue friendships. Pursue friendships within your marriage, with your spouse, but also outside of your marriage. Some of us are in marriages... where we feel that we aren't known and we aren't loved and we feel lonely. All of us are in marriages where we feel that to one degree or another because that is the experience of humanity on this side of the new creation. You should know that. You're not alone. It's normal. What our culture tells us today is that if we find ourselves in a marriage that is not fulfilling our ache of loneliness, what do we need to do? We need to leave that marriage and go find another one because romantic love is the way in which that ache is met. And I want to say, no. You need to pursue friendships. What about those of us like myself who feel like we're actually in a very fulfilling marriage? You also need to pursue friendships. We also need to pursue friendships inside and outside because here's the thing about friendships. It's not an awesome game. C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, The Four Loves, when he's talking about friendship, he says that you know he had these, these really close friends and they met at the pub and they talked all the time. And he talks about how when one of them died... He lost something in each of the others because he said that that Jack was able to bring out you know, that one of them, Charles Williams, was able to bring out something in J.R. Colkin that the other could not. It, so. So this is why actually it's exponential. You are a better spouse when you pursue friendships. But you also need to pursue friendships because because that is how God has given you to meet this ache. And God has given you to meet the ache in others. And he expects that there will be people in the church, many people that are called to singleness. If stats are true, 40%. Now let me speak to the singles among us. I know it's hard, and today it's especially hard to be a single person, because what we are told both inside and outside of the church is that marriage is the primary, if not only way, to meet this ache, but I want you to know that it's not true, and I wish I believed that more, and I wish my fellow Christians believed it more. But it's not true. And so there is a vision here for you and an opportunity to pursue relationships, friendships with others. Do it. With married people and with unmarried people. And realize that God can, through other People, meet your longings and needs. Yes, maybe not in this world, ultimately. Absolutely, he doesn't do it for any of us. We long for something more. But provisionally, yes. And so pursue relationships. And don't simply pine after romantic ones. Because it's a lie that they're going to be found, that your ache is going to be fulfilled there. And I would argue even more that you need to pursue what I'm going to call covenantal friendships. Did you notice that in verse 3? Jonathan makes a covenant with David. That's not just commitment. A covenant is a formal relationship. The only thing that we have close to covenant in our world are church membership and marriage. But I think we need non-romantic, non-erotic covenant relationships. And I want, to post, I want to post you a suggestion that you should pursue that. That we should pursue that. Because we have a model for it here. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved his own soul. And we need to, I think, we need to be thinking a lot more and have theologians thinking a lot more in this direction. God did, though, I want you to know, He did become a man. And when He became a man and He went through His time of need, what happened? He gathered a group around Himself. And when he gathered that group around himself, Jesus in the upper room, he said in chapter 15, verse 15, not only does he say greater love has no known this, that they should lay down their life for their for their friend. He said, I have called you friends. And he means that in the richest, most biblical way. And that friendship. Also, men tailed him becoming a servant because there in the upper room he got down on hand and knee and he washed the disciples' feet. And in so doing, he washes yours and mine as well. And not only that, but there he actually made a covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant for those friends to bind himself in commitment to them forever. And not only that, he took off his robe just as Jonathan did, and he laid it down for you and for me, so that we might pick up a robe, the robe of his righteousness. At present, Lewis goes on, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of the morning, and they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. I have a doctor brother, his name is Wesley Hill, and he describes an experience. He's a single, and he feels called the singleness Christian, and he, on an Easter Sunday, he talks about going to a door, looking at this party on the inside and standing outside, and he said that was the metaphor for his life. He felt like, no one notices me, and I'm not welcomed in. That's what Lewis says here. Right now, we, we feel like we're on the outside of the world. But then Lewis goes on and says, But all of the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. All of us. And Jesus became a man, and he called us friends, and he died, and he brought us into a fellowship of friends so that one day, someday, we would experience what we all want to experience what we were all created to experience, full affirmation, full love, full embrace, with no doubt in our minds. That's why the New Testament says on the day of judgment, we will hear the commendation of God. Well done. We will hear his praise. Our reward and our praise will be from him. We will hear him singing over us because his desire is for us and our desire will be for him. And not just him, but all the fellowship of the saints. That is what is in our future. We can live into it now. And the provisional experiences of it, knowing that one day, someday it will be ultimate. Lord, we ask that you would bring us into the fellowship of your love and that not only would you bring us into it, which you have, but that we would feel it and experience it as we live in fellowship with one another. We pray this in the name of the one who has called us his friend. Amen. Amen.